good to see you today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We'll be there in just a bit. Um, I feel like I let an opportunity go by if I don't just celebrate what's happening today. Um, we're, we're all about wanting to see people come to the Lord. We're all about seeing our children come to the Lord and raising them up, them up in that. We, we are a family ministry church. There's no doubt about that, that we want to work together to raise our kids and families in the Lord. We want to lead by example in what we do. And I love what baptism represents. If you've never been in a church, it seems weird. Why, why, you, why you got a jacuzzi in front of the church? What's that, what's that all about? The reality is it's a symbolic picture of what Jesus has done. My, my life before Christ with all my sin, my shame, my guilt, everything that, that I can't live, or up, live up to or measure up to is there. And when I go under, my, my sin, all those things were buried with Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross and was buried, all that got taken with him where it's no longer with me. When I come up, I'm a new creation in God. And that's what this whole thing symbolizes today. And I pray some of you guys would come to that same realization that that gift, that opportunity, no matter what age you are, what walk of life, or no matter what you've done, is available for you today. And I just want to set it up right now at the end of service. If God's stirring in you and you want that, we're going to offer an opportunity for you to come respond to that. So let me just tee that up. But... Let me jump more so into the sermon. Hebrews chapter 3 as we are wrapping up our series on rest. And this kick off today is I got to tell you a story. I went to OBU, graduated there in 08, uh, Oklahoma Baptist University. And, and I come to learn real quick at Oklahoma Baptist University, I struggled with the four P's. Psychology, philosophy, personal fitness, which was gym, I more about getting up early in the morning for it, and the last one was personal finances. All those I did not do well in college. One of those I took was psychology. I did not like psychology one bit. It was not my forte, and we had a teacher that uh, enjoyed making things more difficult than what they seemed like they should be. Matter of fact, Dr. Roark, I remember. Our first test, I'd heard stories about weed-out classes, and I'd come to believe this is what this freshman-level class was going to be with Dr. Roark in psychology. In our first test, he had harped over and over again about the importance of listening to what he says and reading all his directions and following what he has told you to do. And he gives us our first test, and he says, listen, this is that test. One of those tests will be one of the hardest ones you will talk about for years to come. I promise you, you, you will struggle with this. But I'll tell you this, if you will... Do what I say, and you'll read all my instructions in the paper from start to finish before you start. I'm telling you right now, you will do fine. You'll do fine. And so we sit down, and we start. I'm stressing. It's like five pages long. I'm realizing there's no way I'm going to pass it. As I begin working, I start going, and I see people kind of shuffling through. And about five minutes in, one person gets up and walks out and just turns their paper in. And I'm like, well, I felt that way myself. I don't really care. Just turn it in, whatever. You know, I get it. I get it. A couple minutes later, another person does it. And then another person, I'm saying, what, what's going on? What am I missing? And some of us keep going. We're still working through this test. And I'm, I'm, I'm just struggling the whole way through. And then about halfway through, another person gets up and goes. And then with like 10 minutes left, I hear people start grumbling going, are you kidding me? Are you serious right now? They get up, take the paper, go slam it on the professor's desk and leave. And I'm saying, what is going on today? I don't understand. Professor comes at the end and said, time's up. I still had a whole page, didn't even finish. I was so, I was like, I'm done. I, I failed college, <laughs> you know. One bad grade, you're done. Got done, left that class, walked out. I went and talked to one of the people that left early. I said, hey, what, why did you give up? They go, what did you mean? I go, man, you just got up five minutes out and you left. And he said, did you read, did you read the whole paper? I said, what do you mean did you read the whole paper? He's like, did you follow his instructions? Did you go all the way through and read all of it? And I go, we can't. What do you mean? <laughs> Obviously, I hadn't. 
He said, man, if you read all the way through and you saw the very last question says, if you've read my directions like you said and listened to everything I say, check this box, put your name on the paper and turn it in and you pass this test. Just like that. And so half the class said, listen, God, the other half that did it, I was like, are you kidding me? I could have aced it. Instead, I got graded and failed miserably on this test because I tried to do it myself. I even talked to someone later who said they actually read it and were convinced it was a trick and took the test anyways and did it all the way through and still failed. And was, and I can't tell you, talk about anger setting in when you realize you worked hard and someone just wrote their name well and they passed the test right there. I've heard Shane Half, our old student minister, tell a similar story. So it sounds like that's something that happens that's in the water at Oklahoma Baptist University. So I'm warning you, future students, read all your papers. You don't want to fall into that. I tell you that because when it comes to human nature, for all of us, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, here's the truth. We all in some ways struggle to truly listen and obey, right? When we're told to do something, we either half listen, half don't, or we hear it and think, I'm going to size it up to what I want to do. You say, what's the connection as we wrap up our series called Redeeming Rest? This series has been about this. How do we find rest in God? What does that look like? Because God has laid out a framework of what it looks like to truly find rest. And what's interesting, what we've been going through the past six weeks, and as we conclude today, as you see clearly, I think, is this, that God has told us how and where to find rest. But the problem is this. Many of us either, A, won't listen, even though he's speaking, or B, we won't obey because we think it's too good to be true or there's no way, or we have a different way. Now, now, now the question that comes is that God has invited all of you to rest, and the question is, will you find it? Now, now when I say rest, let me clarify what I mean. Because when you hear that, you think exhausted, and you think, man, I'm just tired, I'm fatigued. That, that is a symptom of what's going on with rest. The reality, that's not the rest in biblical sense of what it's talking about. As a matter of fact, the expositor's commentary says this. A spiritual rest is a spiritual state of relaxation in God's presence, free from striving. My, my own version would be this. It's being satisfied in God because we know he's satisfied in us. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. You see, when you see in Scripture, rest isn't about exhaustion or fatigue, but it's about satisfaction from work. It's saying, I don't have to strive anymore or do anymore because God's done it. He's got it. I trust him in this. When God created everything on the seventh day, he rested. He didn't rest from fatigue or exhaustion. He rested because he was satisfied. There's no more work to be done. It was complete. And we're called to mimic that kind of rest and be satisfied in him. The question is, are we? And so the question, big question is this, is how do I find rest? That's what we're going to try to answer today. And the answer from Hebrews chapter 3 is this. Rest comes through placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And if all of you right now are sitting there and go, oh, I feel like I just read through the back page and it seems too good to be true, it is. It is. But the reality, it's, it's a gift that God gives us. And if you will listen and obey, I promise you this, you will find rest and satisfaction to God like you've never had before. Hebrews chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read verse 7. Through chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to be honest with you. Most of you are going to read it. And you're going to lose me because Hebrews is not an easy read. So don't feel like you're out of place. Like I have no idea what's being said. I'm going to help you unpack that. That's part of what I do. So here's what it says in verse 7. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Where your ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. 
So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily, while it's still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Like, wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Like, wasn't it those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they will not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For for if we have received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he says. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. Even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. Again in the passage he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore since it remains for some to enter. And those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. He again specifies a certain day today. He specified the speaking through David such a... After such a long time, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person, person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's unable, it's a, sorry, is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom he must give an account. Now, if you lost me, welcome to the club. You're in good company right now. Uh, this is a hard text to read as much as scripture is. A lot of it because they're writing to a specific audience to understand specific things. We're separated by some 2,000 years separating us. We're separated by customs and cultures that are far removed from our mind and thinking. We're a Western school of thought. This is an Eastern uh, mindset stuff. There are so many things that are hard for us to comprehend, but I want to explain what's going on. He's talking about us experiencing rest in God. How do we find it? And And in it, he takes a closer look at how we struggle to find rest. You see, in verse 7 through 19, he starts with the temptation that we have to do it our way. That's what he's talking about, why we struggle to find rest. Because there's always a temptation to do it our way. Are are we not prideful? Are we not? Do we not often struggle with, man, it's my way or the highway? If you're a man and you're sitting next to your wife, she's probably giving you a nudge and saying amen silently under the tone in your direction, right? Yes, we all struggle in some ways with doing it our way. And he starts in verse 7 through 11 of how we're not just like that, but even our forefathers, like our forefathers tried to do it their way. And look what happened to them. And he quotes in this text, verse 7 through 11, from Psalms 95, verse 7 through 11. He's quoting an Old Testament text because he's talking to a group of Hebrew people who would have known it and been familiar with it. He says, look at them. Look at what happened to them. He says, did they not fall into rebellion? He says, don't harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. My my question is, what rebellion is he talking about? There's a progress of rebellion you see in the Old Testament. 
In Exodus chapter 15, there's an interesting account of what's going on where God's people are delivered out of Egypt. They come, God has done miraculous things. You've heard of all the plagues. You've heard crossing the Red Sea. Hopefully, if not, you're still okay. You're still caught up with him. They come across the other side, been delivered. Imagine all the works they see. I mean, how much confidence would you have in God if you saw God literally part a Red Sea and you walk across like it's nothing and just come across the other end, dry as can be, no mud or no nothing. And yet in chapter 15, as soon as they get to the other side, they suddenly run out of food. They have no water. They're starting to get dehydrated, hungry. And what do they do? They begin to cry out. Like, why did you take us over here? Why did you part the Red Sea just for us to come over here and die? This is terrible. And the only water we got here isn't even drinkable. And so in Exodus chapter 15, God makes water able for them to drink. He provides for them through a rock, a crazy situation. And then in Exodus chapter 16, God starts providing manna every day, a sustenance of food for 40 years. If you came to that, would you struggle with faith? Well, I would probably think not, man. We've seen God do so much. We know God can take care of us. God's doing all the work. But when you go to Exodus chapter 17, guess what happens? They leave that place, they go to the next place, there's no water, and guess what they do? Rinse, cycle, repeat. God, why don't you love us? Why did you bring us here? You brought us out here to die, you're not taking care of us, you don't provide for us. To the point in Exodus chapter 32, they make their own God. They're like, everyone pass up the jewelry you got, give your grandma's ring and ear and wedding ring, we're going to make a golden calf, and we're going to worship it ourselves. They try to do it themselves. They take matters in their own hand, and he's pointing to this. Ultimately, their problem is this. Listen, they were unsatisfied that God would provide and thus were unable to enjoy his rest. When you don't think God is going to come through, guess who has to do the work to come through? You do. I don't trust God, so I can't rest him. I don't believe him. There's not a sense of relief that I know God's got me. They lack faith in God to be God. When it comes to us, we don't rest because we're not satisfied. Think about this. Have you ever thought about it, that everything in life you look to find satisfaction in can be found in God? It's meant to be found in God. If you've ever looked for companionship through friends, through marriage or whatever, those are great things. But listen, those are meant to be found in God. If you were ever looking for love, those were meant to be found in God. If you've ever struggled and tried to find status in career and who you are, guess what? That is meant to be found in God. He gives us status. If you've ever wanted to find security, joy, provision, any of those things, they are meant to be found in God. And how often do we come to say, God, I trust you with this. I'm just going to relax because I know you got this. I, I know you got it. And the reality is we dedicate our life striving towards those things. And, and when we achieve it, when we find companionship, we find status and it happens, what happens? It becomes fool's gold for us, doesn't it? Because you think you've arrived, I can finally enjoy it. But what do you do instead? Spend the rest of your life trying to maintain and keep it. How many can amen this to marriage? I remember when Emily and I dated all through high school, and everyone talking about how tough marriage would be. Listen, I love my wife, and I'm thinking, man, well, she's my best friend. How can this be difficult? Why do people make it look so hard? It's easy. I'm, I'm pretty easy to get along with, I think. Boy, was I wrong. And we got married, and suddenly, guess what? Companionship was work. It was difficult. I'm not saying it wasn't worthwhile. But there was constantly striving and to make it work. And listen, with God, we don't have to strive these things. And that's what he's saying. They, they try to do it their own way when God says, I got a way. And so verse 12 through 14, he tells us, he says, watch out. He's, he tells us, he says, look at yourself and where you're heading. 
He offers three ways to help avoid these pitfalls. He starts with, it says, watch out. That word means beware or, or take heed. He's saying protect yourself by being aware of what's coming your way. Look at your life and pay attention to what's going on. Have you ever been through a speed trap before and dealt with that? I, my, my biological father lives in West Texas, a little small town called Spur, Texas. If you know where it is, I'm sorry. It's middle of nowhere. There's nothing out there. He thinks it's God's country. I'm like, places I hear that are hot and miserable is not heaven. There's another place for that. But, hey, we're not going to get into that. Now, when I go see him, I will drive south to Wichita Falls, and once I hit Wichita Falls, I'll go straight west towards Lubbock. It's an hour east of Lubbock, go straight west, and there is nothing there, nothing. I've prayed for the rapture to happen in those moments. I didn't have to drive that road any longer. Now, going through Oklahoma, can I tell you something? I can go 85, sometimes 90 miles per hour by the law that allows me. It's amazing. I am hauling down the road. You get to Texas, the, the, the speed limit suddenly drastically changed without warning and without notice. It will go from 85 to 75. You'll hit small towns and go through. I will follow and I have Apple will tell me, hey, beware, there's a speed trap. I will sit there and go, nah, I think I'm good, and just haul right through. And I have been pulled over more than once and frustrated. Now, listen, should I be frustrated? No, why? Because the warning signs were all there. But I ignored it. And here he's saying this, hey, listen, you, you, you need to be aware. You need to protect yourself by being aware of what's going on. He says in verse 13, not only do you need to protect yourself, he says you need to surround yourself with other people. To keep from falling this trap of doing your own way, he says, but encourage each other. That word encourage means to exhort, admonish, help, warn. It's why God never intended us to do life alone or absent from the church because we're meant to be around other people that can push us, challenge us, and call us out in areas saying, hey, listen, I, I think you're trying to do it your own way. And you're not turning to God. He tells us as well in verse 14 to examine yourself. Look what he says. He says, for we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end and the reality that he's what he started. He says, examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. That word, if indeed we hold, implies this. It implies that faith is acquired. It's not something you're naturally just giving. It's something that is acquired. You need to look at yourself and say, Am I, do I belong? You see, our temptation to go our way, we see it in our ancestors. We see it in the history. And the question is, will we look at them and take heed and take warning to what's going on? And that's what he says in verse 15 through 19. He says, don't make the same mistake they did. You know what foolishness is? It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting, expecting different results. Some say that's the definition of insanity. And he says, listen, you, you need to learn from the mistakes. And that's why he says in verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Are you going to take warning? Are you going to look and say, I'm going to do it my way, or are you going to learn? My grandfather lives in West Texas as well, and he is a cotton farmer his entire life. He, he is the quintessential hardworking representation of the older generation that we look to and go, man, that's what it looks like right there. Every morning, every night, nonstop work provided just an amazing, hardworking man. And for years he did it. And when ways of cotton farming began to change and adapt and technology began to come, he would always say, listen, hard work never killed anybody. And there's no point in me wasting money on that stuff. And so he just kept doing it the old-fashioned way for years and years and years. And finally, my dad started to go to work for him and help him and realize that, you know what, you can pick up all these 80-pound bags of seed and stuff like that yourself, or you can get a forklift that does it for you. And my grandfather for years said, that's absurd, we don't need to do that. My grandfather finally changed his tone the year after he retired and became wheelchair-bound. 
after years of hard work, had destroyed his back and destroyed his ability to move and do stuff. And I'll never forget watching with my dad have the conversation. He said, you know what, I think I was wrong. And I'm not saying he did anything wrong with this, but listen, for years, I'm going to do it my way, my way, my way. Eventually, it was the demise of himself and what he is. And today, he cannot walk. He cannot pick himself up. He is completely dependent on other people and everything that he does. And so many of us do the same thing. We go through our paces and do it our way. And even though we look to what other people do, we ignore their warning and keep doing it our way. And so he says, listen, when it comes to resting, there's always a way to you that looks good. There's always going to be one. There's always going to be the temptation of once I get this, then I can rest. Once I reach retirement, then I can rest. Once I get married, then I can rest. Once I have kids, then I can rest. (laughs) I said, right, yeah. But I love, he gives us hope in chapter 4. He says, but God has provided and promised a better way. Verse 1 through 10. I love, you can tell, because the word therefore means a change in thought, a change in direction. He says, therefore... He says, since the promise to enter his rest still remains. He starts in verse 1 through 5 talking about this. He says, everyone is invited to this rest that God has. All these provisions, everything that we can come to sit and be satisfied with God, he has. He says, the promise remains. In other words, that offer that they had back in the Old Testament still stands today. It's there if you want it. It's there if you want to take it. But he says in verse B, he says, let us beware though. What does he say? He says, let us beware that none of you be found to fall short. The question is, have you accepted it? In verse 2 he says, for we have also, what, received the good news. That word, receive the good news, in the original Greek is evangelizo. It's where we get the word evangelize. It's like we have all been evangelized to. We've been told the gospel. We know the good news of Jesus Christ. The question is, how will we respond? They were all told the good news that you can rest and find satisfaction in God, but they didn't respond. Instead, they kept trying to do their own way. He points to just a few that had made it. If you know the Old Testament story, you have them come, and God's delivering them to the promised land to find rest, and they don't go in and go in because they're terrified of the giants that are in there. And yet two were not, Caleb and Joshua. They said, we think we can do it. Our God's got it. And, and everyone didn't get to make it in except those two. And so God's saying, listen, I've proven myself faithful. I've shown you that everyone's invited this rest. And I've proven that those who did not, guess what? They don't get to enter my rest. And those that did respond, guess what? They did get to enter my rest. The question is, will you heed the wording? Will you be emboldened by Israel's past? You're going to be emboldened one way or another. You ever notice that, that there's confidence drawn when we see other people break the ice in the molding situation? Some of you guys may or may not know this about me, but I used to work at Fazoli's back in the day. If you've never been at Fazoli's, they hand out breadsticks for free. And they used to have a person that would walk around the basket handing out breadsticks. The kids would call it the breadstick lady. Can I tell you who the breadstick lady was? So we'd walk around handing out breadsticks to people. And I remember watching coming in, and many people don't know this, if you come and dine in at Fazoli's, you can have all the breadsticks you want. No matter if you order anything or not, we'll just give you breadsticks just for showing up. And I remember watching parents come and tell their kids, hey, go ask them for breadsticks. No, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to do it. I'm like, no, it's for free. You can do it. And they'd be terrified. And it always happened. You'd have one kid build up the courage and go, hey, breadstick lady. I'm like, the name's Eric. Uh, And so they said, can I have some breadsticks? And I said, sure, how many you want? And let me tell you, when you say that, you ever seen a kid's eyeballs light up? They're like 100. I'm like, I have 12. How's that? Okay. And so I load them up with a plate of 12, and they walk away. Do you know what happens as soon as they walk away? Fifteen other kids come running up there and say, can I have a breadstick? 
we're emboldened by what we see. When we read the Old Testament, it's supposed to show us God's faithfulness. What we've seen, God has proven faithful that when he says, you can rest me, he's done it time and time again. Will you look to that and follow that lead? And he says, everyone, in verse 1 through 5, is invited to the rest. But here's the scary part that I need you to hear. Look at verse 6 to 10. He tells us, but not everyone will receive this rest. Everyone's offered this invitation. Everyone is giving it. You right now are offered this invitation, but not everyone's going to get it. And here's why. Look at verse 6. He says, therefore, since it remains for some to enter and those who formerly received good news. In other words, those who heard the good news. Guess what? They did not enter. Why? Because of their disobedience. Well, what does that mean, disobedience? It means they failed to do it God's way. They said, God, I hear what you say, but I think I know better. God's not just an insurance policy. You cash in and come get baptized and you put it in your back pocket and go on with your life. Salvation is a life transformation saying, I give it all to you because I want all of you. I got no room to hold in my stuff. I want all of yours. And some people don't do that. And he says in verse 7 and 8, the beauty of this, he says, listen, some people won't, some people will. But he says, today, he can specify today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, don't miss the invitation today. What does today mean in the original Greek? You know what it means? It means today. That's what it means. The same thing in English. Today, don't let it go by. Don't let it go by. There, there's still an opportunity for you. I remember when COVID hit, I was a new pastor here leading. I, I was trying to figure out, I, I was lost. I'm just going to be honest with you. Didn't know what I was doing. And I was looking for every resource to figure out how to make it through this sort of stuff. And in leadership, I felt very incapable and adequate as a leader. And I remember being reading different stuff. And one of the things I started listening to was Patrick Lencioni. And I started listening to him on how to lead staff and stuff because that was so new to me. And he said this in one of the things which is so interesting, and I think he quoted from someone else. He said, you know when the best time to plant a tree is? So the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. But if you can't do it then, the second best time is today. Yes, we'd love to go back, man, 20 years ago, I wish I could have done something different, but I can't change that. But I can change today. Why am I telling you this? Listen, you, have, you may have built a life around doing it your way. And that's not easy to give that all up and say I was wrong. But today is the best day to start doing it God's way. To come say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of striving for meaning. I'm tired of not feeling like I'm ever going to make it. Tired of believing that that carrot at the end of the stick will eventually get here, but guess what? As soon as I get to it, there's another one on the other end that just keeps going. It keeps coming out of reach. But today is the day. And so he, he ends with the thing saying, what will you choose? In verse 11 through 13, today you will have a choice, which way will you go? He says, let us then what? Make every effort to enter that rest. You know what's so funny? The whole text he's been saying, listen, don't work. You just need a rest. You just need a rest. But the one time he calls us to work is right here. That make every effort, it means strive, work towards, put effort towards what? Put effort towards my work? No, but what? Strive to what? Make effort to enter the rest. If you want to work towards something, work towards entering into God rest and, and getting everything off your plate and say, God, I trust you. I'm done striving. I'm done trying to be all these things, and I just am because of you. you I know you're going to provide for me. I know you're going to say I'm good enough. I know everything I have is in you, but you have to respond. And that's the beauty of what's going on here. You see, 
you have to intentionally decide for yourself. No one can do that for you. We just recently visited Salt Lake City in the Mormon church and learning about them. And I don't know if you know this, but one of the things they do in their, their faith that they try to tie in ours, which I can tell you is not the same as ours, is they practice baptism for the dead. In other words, when someone has passed away years ago, they chase their genealogies back because they get baptized on their behalf. Because they believe when you go to heaven, which there are three different levels of heaven of what they believe, and you suddenly come to a realization that you were wrong, and you start striving towards God, trying to earn your way up, one of the things that will hold you back is the fact that you haven't been baptized, and so you need relatives to do it on your behalf. And here's the thing, listen, that sounds great, but that's not biblical. No one can make a decision or get baptized on your behalf. It is your choice, and you have to decide. And it's the beauty of God who could do anything. Step back from that and said, I'm allowing you free will for you to choose. And it's a difficult decision we make. I see it with my kids when it comes to making decisions on just where to go to eat. And we fight and we go through because it's hard. And I'm like, listen, sometimes in the, the day, you have to make a decision, and you're going to have to live with the outcome. If you're sitting the sound of my voice and you think that you're going to get saved by osmosis by sitting in a Christian room like this or whatever, listen, you're fooling yourself. You have to come and say, God, I want your rest. I'm done doing it myself. And the beauty of what he shows, he says, make every effort. And then he says in verse 12, he says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as separation of soul and spirit. What, what is he saying there? He's saying that we don't have any excuses. If you're here today, you're hearing the truth, and you have an onus to respond. The, the IVP background Bible says this, that God's word was received by Israel through Moses, and by the readers of Hebrews in Christ we see us today. Let those of us who, who heard have no excuses. In other words, you, you can't leave this room today if you're truly listening to me and plead ignorance. You've been evangelized. I'm telling you the truth now. You have to respond. Pleading ignorance will not be an excuse, and you see that time and time in Scripture. Can I tell you about one of the times I got pulled over driving in West Texas? And I knew what I did was wrong, and I got pulled over. And guess what I did? I'm confessing right now as a pastor in front of you. I bold-faced lied to the cop. But I didn't realize it was, a, I, I'm from Oklahoma. We're ignorant, you know. Like, I, I did everything I could. And guess what the officer said? Listen, I don't care. There, there's no excuse. The law is a law. It was there. There's no excuse for ignorance. There's going to come a day that many people, as scared as me, are going to stand before the Lord. And some who have never heard because we have not done our due diligence as a church. But you inside the room today, you are hearing the gospel and it is your responsibility to respond. And you're not going to be able to stand before him and say, I didn't know. So how do I find rest? Rest comes through placing your faith in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as getting to the end of the paper it says, if you read everything I said, check this box and turn your paper in, and you've passed. It's too good to be true, but Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of sin, for all my hard work, for all the things I strive for to try, do it myself saying, God, I got this. For the wages of sin is death, which means separation from God. It means a physical and spiritual death. But, I've always said I love buts in Scripture because it changes everything. But, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Not by anything you have to do or can do or will do or God expects you to do. It's a gift. And the gift by its very nature 
is freely given without any sense of merit attached on the backside of it. My last story and I'll be done. One of the many times I got pulled over in West Texas. You guys are really going to be concerned about me now telling all these stories. I'm driving to West Texas. I see my dad. I'm coming back home. And Emily and I are married at that point. We're driving back and I'm, I'm again speeding. Cop pulled me over. Came to the window and says, you know why I pulled you over? I got busted last time. I ain't lying again this time. I'm thinking maybe, maybe honesty will get me out of this time. And I said, yeah, I, 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 w- I was speeding. I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. I promise you I'm a good person. I begin to justify all the things I do. I, forgive me. I even play the youth minister's card. I'm a youth minister. I normally don't do this sort of thing. And I'm sitting in that situation. And he says, sorry, you, you've broken the law. We have laws. We have rules here. And so I'm, I'm going to write you a ticket. So, okay. He comes and writes a ticket, and he goes, you mind my asking? And he goes, what were, you, what were you doing? You're from Oklahoma. Why are you out here? I said, well, I was visiting my dad in Spur, Texas. He said, really? I said, yeah. He goes, well, I'm from Spur. I said, really? Oh, he said, well, who's your dad? I said, well, my, my, my dad's Lance Harris. He said, you, no joke. He said, Lance Harris is my neighbor. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. He goes, you're Lance. He goes, I can see it now. I can see it in your face. You're Lance's boy. I said, yeah, I am. Please don't tell him about this. <laughs> He said, here's the thing, listen. He goes, because you're Lance's boy, I'm going to let you off. But don't make that mistake again, okay? And I, and I drove off, and I called my dad, and my dad called me dumb, and then we had a conversation. Can I tell you, so listen, in, in a similar way, that's what it looks like with God. We come to God, we, we've broken the law. There's no excuse, there's no way out of it. And, and the rightful thing is we deserve a ticket. We deserve the just punishment that's coming our way. But when we name drop Jesus Christ as my Savior, and what he did. God looks at us and says, you know what? That debt's paid for. Come on in. And, and it's the beauty of a free gift of, 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 of just like Seth did today. You can come and receive the gift, but not everyone's going to receive that promise if you don't come to a point in your life and say, God, I'm done. I need you. Save me. But you have to respond. And you stop striving and find joy and find out what it means just to be a living being, a, a child of God, and walk in that freedom. And some of you who are children of God, stop striving. Stop. That's why he calls us to rest. So what will you do? I've laid it pretty heavy. I know that. And so I'm going to ask if you do this. But I ask if you bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a second. I believe God's stirring in someone today in some way, shape, or form. Whether you're realizing that you don't have Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, today is the day. When's the best day? Today is the day to do it. Will you respond? With your head bowed, eyes closed, I have leaders that are going to make their way around the room for an opportunity for you to respond. There are people you can go up to and say, listen, I, I want to enjoy this rest Eric's talking about. What do I need to do? We have elders that will be up front. We have other leaders in the back. You go find any one of them. All you got to say is, I want rest, and they'll walk you through what it means. But no one can make you do it. The question is, how will you respond? Father God, I, God, I pray today someone on the sound of my voice would look into their life. And ask the simple question of, God, do I belong to you?
today if they got pulled over, they would experience the full wrath of your judgment and condemnation because that's what we deserve. Like I, maybe they've spent forever thinking, believing that by coming to church, by doing good things, by reading their Bible, just trying to be an overall good person is, is going to take away any wrongdoing they've done. But that's just not what your word says. Your word tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, your standards. Your word has told us that it's only by faith in Jesus Christ, by what your son has done on the cross for us, will we be saved. Now, God, I pray they respond to that truth, not the own truth that they've created. So, God, give them encouragement. Give them conviction. Give give them confidence to get up and come talk to someone. Don't let them leave with this, this, this nudging inside their heart that they don't understand, that we would like to tell them that's the Holy Spirit trying to get their attention. Help them to respond today. So God, I'm, I'm going to close this prayer with you here in a second. When I do, I pray as soon as I say amen, they would have the confidence to get up. Pray our church members who are children of God, who have professed faith, they'd be praying for those people around them that today someone would get saved. So help us respond to you. God, move right now, please, I'm asking you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If God has convicted you, in any way, shape, or form. If you're feeling something, listen, don't, don't leave here today. We, we have elders you'll see up here, Pete, J.D., and Bradley, that would love to walk you through what it means to be saved. And, and none of us, I can tell you, love these guys, I can tell you from experience of us, none of us are better than you. We've just all experienced the grace of God, and we want to tell you what it looks like. We are redeemed people looking to redeem other people. The question is, will you respond? So Grant's going to come lead worship. If you need that, come talk to us. We've got others in the back. You respond, but don't leave here today without making that decision do it God's way. So I'm going to ask if you'd stand and we worship. And as soon as Grant starts singing, if you feel I led to that, you come find one of these guys and you talk to him.